Now, in case you don't follow any of the comic book movies, this one, like the trailer showed, was a computer, computer animated sequel to Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, which came, back in, which came out in 2018. And since then, we've averaged about one Spider-Man movie every year, and we've embraced this concept of a multiverse where parallel universe exists with, with their own version of superheroes and villains that we love and we hate. And so this Spider-Man movie that we're talking about is based on uh, a variant version of Spider-Man named Miles Morales. The Spider-Man that many of us are familiar with is the Peter Parker Spider-Man, but this one is Miles Morales, and he clashes with other Spider-People from other universes um, about the multiverse. And so Spider-Man in general is a very iconic superhero. People generally love Spider-Man and appreciate because he, out of all the different heroes, he is the one that's the most relatable. He, he in his superhero spandex, he's got everything that anybody would want. He's a wall-crawling, web-slinging, crime-fighting hero that's a friendly neighborhood person as well, too. But the thing about Spider-Man is this, that outside of the tights, outside of the spandex, everything in his life is falling apart. He can't make ends meet. He's, he's financially struggling. He grieves the loss of his loved ones. In many of the uh, Spider-Man's life, they're grieving the loss of an uncle. The romantic relationships always, and I mean always, struggle. And so it adds up to be a great story because there's so much drama. But oftentimes, I find myself getting so frustrated with Spider-Man. I get frustrated because he is great as Spider-Man. He does everything well as Spider-Man. Everyone, almost everyone admires him as Spider-Man. But everything that he does as Spider-Man doesn't translate to him and his life as Peter Parker or as Miles Morales. His relationships get hurt. His family relationships are, 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 are ruined. Um, again, his romantic relationships, nonetheless, don't work out. And so the, dy the, dy the dynamic of having a dual identity, of being Spider-Man, of being part Petey Parker, or being Spider-Man, or being Miles Morales, this idea of having dual identity is a major part of many comic book characters. Superman, we get Batman, we get Wonder Woman, we get... Um, we get, uh, again, a whole, a, name your comic book character, chances are they have a dual identity, that they're a hero and that they're a normal person. But again, for me, there's parts where as I think about it, as I process that dual identity, it feels frustrating because there's a part that feels hypocritical to me. Yes, a dual identity is needed for heroes to live a normal life because they need to protect the loved ones from experiencing retribution from their arch enemies. But again, at the same time, there's a sense of conflict that I get whenever, again, the greatness that they experience as a superhero doesn't translate into their normal world. It feels like there's a lack of integrity. It feels like you're, you know, it feels like you're willing to find solutions to the hero part of you, but Again, to live up to integrity, you've got to find those solutions to the human part of you as well, too. I hate this idea of how one benefits while the other loses, or one, one part benefits while the other part loses. And if I think to my own, my own life, it reminds me of early years in marriage. And so Pang and I, early on, um, we just had a, a, a habit every Sunday morning of when we were going to church, we would argue with each other. 
we would be frustrated with each other. And we both served in different respective ministry areas. Sometimes we served together, sometimes we served separate. But every Sunday we'd go to church and we would argue with each other. And as soon as we parked the car and as soon as we walked in that door, our demeanor immediately changed from anger to calmness so that everyone thought everything was fine, everything was okay. See, having this dual identity was something that I grew up seeing in my Hmong Christian context. And I think it's something that runs rampant in, in the church world, not just the Hmong church, but I think in the church world, where at church we might appear all put together. We might appear to be perfect. We might appear to be great because we are in our Sunday's best. But at home, we experience brokenness. At home, we experience hurt. At home, we experience what we don't experience on Sunday. You see, Jesus had issues with people who had dual identities too. It ranged from religious leaders who taught that what the scriptures said and told people, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, but they themselves didn't live accordingly to what they taught. Or the rich who had everything that they needed but lacked any real reason to truly feel alive or to truly live. You see, if Jesus had something to say to them about their dual identities, I think Jesus has something to say to us too when it comes to our dual identities. And I'm reminded this morning of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 where John records seven letters that are written to seven churches regarding what's going to happen at the end of times. And so in Revelation, John the disciple is in prison and an angel comes down and shows what's going to happen at the end of times. And again, there's this letter that's written to, the seven, church, to seven churches regarding what's going to happen. The churches, all seven of them, were affirmed with what they were doing well, but there are also points of correction, and there was also promises of what they would do if they corrected what they weren't doing well. All these churches, again, generally speaking, dealt with this same issue of having a dual identity. And the most notable one, the one that I'm talking about this morning, is the church in Laodicea. Laodicea. I'm going to read to us what the letter says to the church in Laodicea. And so in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, this is what it says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So the church in Laodicea, they were in a city that was completely self-sufficient and they flourished economically. 
They had tons and tons of resources, like a major bank center, booming textiles that produced sought-after black wool, and the best eye doctor who had the best eye medicine. But this is how John describes them. He says they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, the dual identity that the Laodicean church struggled with was having all the resources in the world to be successful on the earth, but then lacking everything meaningful in their relationship with God, in their spirituality, in the thing that would matter once life on earth passed away. As great of a city as they seemed to be, their spiritual state was in jeopardy, so much so that John describes them in relation to their one weakness. And so as great of a church as Laodicea was, as great of a city as Laodicea was, the one weakness was their water source. You see, Laodicea was far away from any major water source. So by the time the water traveled to the city, the water got to their city, it was lukewarm. Now, lukewarm water is not an issue for us at all. Some of us prefer lukewarm water. But you see, back in the days, hot water was useful for bathing. Hot water was also useful for medicinal purposes, while cold water was refreshing. And if you think about it, back in biblical days, they didn't have a refrigerator. And so to have a cold cup of water was very refreshing. But you see, lukewarm water was useless. The water had to travel so far, but, but so by the time it reached the city, it was lukewarm. And on top of that, in traveling through the pipes and the aqueducts, it was contaminated, making it undesirable and unsafe to drink. Some scholars believe that it was, um, it was useless because, again, by the time it traveled through all the different pipes to get to the Laodicea, it was also very smelly. And so that's why John writes, to, writes uh, that Jesus was going to spit them out of his mouth because they were lukewarm. It was because they were useless. Laodicea's identity and their wealth and fortune meant absolutely nothing to Jesus. Now, similarly, in relation to Spider-Man, again, I appreciate how Spider-Man sacrifices for his neighborhood, how he sacrifices for his city. It, but, and it feels so unsatisfying um, that under the mask, even though he does all those great things, Peter Parker or Miles Morales, again, they just simply can't get their relationships with their loved ones right. So in light of Laodicea and Spider-Man, what is the solution when it comes to having this dual identity? I think for us, the dual identities that maybe, maybe we wrestle with are the, are the ones that we have at our jobs. Maybe we are the, the best professional at our job. We know all the etiquettes to get us in and out, to, to get us the opportunities that we want. Maybe some of us are experts in the hobbies that we love. We know the ins and outs, and we know everything about our hobbies to connect with people, to network with others. Maybe some of us are just the most ideal citizen in public. Again, we know what to say. We know what to do. But what happens when we're in our private places? What happens when we're at our homes? What happens when we're with our loved ones? Does the greatness, does the etiquette, does the expertise, do the ideal behaviors translate into our marriages? Do they translate into our parenthood, into our relationships with our parents, our siblings, our extended family? Are the things that matter 
that help us make it in our career are those things consistent when it comes to our relationship with others? Or more importantly, do those things matter when it comes to God? Or are we like Spider-Man and the Laodicean church where we are successful in areas but then completely botch and fail in others? I think it's worth considering Jesus' solution to the Laodiceans' problem of having this dual identity. In verse 19, this is what he says to the church. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. I think it's worth considering God's counsel, even if it's his rebuke and discipline. Now, I've never been one to enjoy discipline. It's never fun seeking truth when you're being disciplined. But if we carefully observe the truth that lies behind whatever pain that we get from discipline, I think there's a solution that, that Jesus provides us. I think the dual identity that we all struggle with, in general speaking, is this identity of balancing depending on ourselves and depending on God. I think that's the identity that a lot of us, if not all of us, struggle with. The dynamic of depending on ourselves and depending on God. And we can't necessarily have both. We see how the world defines success and security. And so we take steps in achieving those things, but it comes at a cost of depending on God. And then God offers us success and security in Him. And I think one of the clearest passages that reminds us and reminds me how to depend on God is found in Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus speaking. And so this is what Jesus says, when it, what it looks like to depend on God. Let me read it for us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, or the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now what I just read is the beginning of what's considered to be Jesus' greatest sermon. And it talks about what it means to be successful in this world and the world to come. Jesus offers these countercultural traits that probably wouldn't help you or I obtain any high-level leadership or job opportunity. And as I was writing this, I thought about who the, the highest achiever that I've, I've, I, I know or that I'm aware of, and, and I thought of Elon Musk. And I thought, and I wondered if being humble, merciful, peaceful has gotten Tim to where he's been. And a part of me, seeing how he reacts on Twitter and the news feeds about him, one thinks maybe not. As successful as Elon Musk has been here on earth, I also wondered, how does that translate when he passes away? What will that translate for us when we pass away? The success that we carry here on earth. What does that mean when we pass away? 
You see, I think Christ spoke these words because he wanted us to be successful on this side of heaven and heaven to come. So I think it's worth, worth us considering how we can dismantle our dual identity and take on the identity that Jesus has for us because he promises us that the result of taking on the identity results in the kingdom of heaven. That being poor in spirit, being humble, being peacemakers, being gentle helps us here on earth and in heaven. And so as great as our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is, he isn't perfect and neither are we. But our Father in heaven is. And he offers us the ability to experience the promise of being successful in what matters the most. And so being in right relationship with God and being right with others is our goal here on earth and what happens in heaven. And so let's take on his truth so that we can experience his promises. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for just the simple deep truths and fun movies like Spider-Man that we capture, but how it stirs our hearts of the uncomfort, and the discomfort, and how it hits home, at least for me, of how I wrestle with a dual identity, how I can show up in certain places and be great, but show up in private places to people that I care for and I love the most, and show up as a complete jerk. So Lord, if any of us deals with a sense of dual identity, Lord, that we show up great in certain parts of our lives, but it doesn't cross through into other areas, Lord, we ask that your spirit be upon us. And may your spirit discipline us and rebuke us, Lord. And may we repent. And may we find ways to understand what it is to live with integrity, Lord. That however we show up at the workforce, at the job, in the public, in areas where we have to achieve, Lord, the way that we show up, may we live in integrity and may we show up in those ways in, in, in the private sectors of our lives, Lord. That we don't have to balance both things, but we can be consistent and living based on, living accordingly to an identity that you've given us, Lord. That we can live with all the things that surround us with one identity. And that's your identity, Lord. And so would you do a mighty work in our lives, Lord? And allow us not to wrestle with a dual identity. Of having to show up in ways that we aren't truly, who, who, show up in ways that we truly aren't, Lord. May we be ourselves, and may your spirit continue to do a mighty work in us, Lord, so that we show up consistently in all areas of our lives based on your identity, knowing that what you give us and what you hand to us, Lord, is not just only good for here on earth, but heaven to come. So we thank you for what you give us, and we ask that may we faithfully grasp it and run with it. So we thank you. We pray and let this in your name, Lord. Amen.